Welcome along to another Far Post Perth podcast. My name is Neil Sherwin, and it's great to be back in the company of Blaine Tregold and Donna Jeffrey for another uh, another chat about the, the the beautiful game we all love so much, even in these challenging times. Blaine, how you been? Yeah, good mate. Yeah, how is everyone? Not too bad, not too bad at all. Donna, you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, guys. Very well. Cool. Okay. So we've got uh, an action-packed show because we're uh, we're going to do a bit of an interview um, on this episode. We're going to speak to former Socceroo Gary Cole, uh, and we're going to talk to him about the A League, uh, about his time with the national team, and how he thinks the the, the Socceroos are shaping up now. He uh, he played 40 times for Australia between 1975 and 1984. Scored 20 goals, and before that wretched Archie Thompson came along and scored 13 goals against America Samoa, he held a record for the most goals scored by an Aussie in an international game. That was a seven against Fiji in 1981. So it's a guy with plenty of experience around the traps, played at the the highest level in the, at the national team, and he also worked in administrative roles with both Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. So I'm sure he's got plenty to uh, to discuss so we're going to launch straight into that now um hopefully you enjoy it and then once we come back from speaking to gary we'll look at perk glory and how they've been shaping up over the last couple of weeks and uh, and look ahead to this weekend's game against the newcastle and jets so this is gary cole uh, enjoy the interview gary thanks very much for joining us on the fire post per podcast really appreciate your time thanks very much for having us so let's talk about yourself first it's a let's let's look at the ego stuff out of the way the uh the 40 caps for the Socceroos and 20 goals in between 1975 and 1984. That's um, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, the the numbers stuck up nicely. Ten ten of those 20 were actually against Fiji in two games, uh, a hat trick over there in a World Cup qualifier, and seven uh, we beat them 10 nil here in Melbourne. I scored seven. Dave Mitchell scored a hat trick. We won 10 nil, which was fantastic. Apart from the fact and that was a Wednesday night, they were flying to New Zealand the next day to play New Zealand in the final qualifier, and we had to hope they beat New Zealand for us to go to the 82 World Cup. Unfortunately, um, New Zealand just beat them 13-0, so we, uh, we missed out. So close yet so far. Um, I have to ask, <laughs> uh, how much did you hate Archie Thompson in 2001 when he scored 13? <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, it was great. Look, to be honest with you, I was never really into stats and details, so it, it was nice. I, someone told me it was a world record in a World Cup qualifier for a while, and and actually just just smashed it out of the ballpark. So um, no, that's fine, mate. As, as, as long as Australia's winning, can't can't be too disappointed with that. No, it's a it's a brilliant achievement though to to have a, a basically whether the, the goal ten of the goals were scored against Fiji or not to have a goal every two games to your international record. If people don't read much for, much further than that, they'll be very very impressed. Um, in, ter- in, in terms of the domestic stuff though, you, you played 
with uh, with Heidelberg and Preston. Um, what was it like playing at, at local level at that stage? We, we know all about the the social media and the, even the TV coverage these days, but but I'm sure you had obviously the newspapers and that kind of thing. But what what was the coverage like back then of the game? Yeah, there were there were still designated um, football writers um, uh, down here for the uh, the Age and the, the Herald Sun or the Sun Herald, I think it was probably called back then. Um, and TV did happen. Um, it was uh, Channel Ten derivative, which was Channel O, I think, to start with. It was O's to go. So there was live uh, live coverage. I'm not sure whether there was there was for a period of time some coverage on commercial TV of the Philip Soccer League, and then of course. Um, I think the grand 1980, where there was a not a grand final, they had a they had a league competition which uh, Sydney Ocoa won, and then a top four championship playoff, and and we Heidelberg beat them in the the final four nil in Canberra. That was the first outside broadcast of SBS. So Les Murray and um, Johnny Johnny Warren covered that. So there was a bit around, not a lot certainly. <laughs> Certainly no social media. Uh, no one had a phone in their camera, which made, made life a whole bunch easier for us all. So we, we got to relax when we finished playing. But uh, no, it, it was great. And uh, I, when we had our first training session at Melbourne Victory um, back in 2004, you know, I, I told them all that day we were in uh, in 1977 when the old NSL kicked off. We were convinced that that full time professional football was just around the corner. And it was 30 years just around the corner, <laughs> so it, it, it took a while to come in, but uh, it, it was a great, great journey. Just going on that, Gary, with Melbourne Victory, you're obviously there from the beginning, and I'm assuming you still support them avidly right now. What's your take on what's going on at Victory at the moment with the season that we're having? Yeah, look, to be honest, I, I was really surprised. I, I, I don't follow it as closely as, as I used to, albeit I'm, I'm, I am still a member and uh, and go from time to time. I think, you know, people perceived that they were going to be one of the stronger teams again, and they were, and had a few hiccups early on, had players away with the with Socceroos, but they've just not... They look slow. They, they they don't seem to have too much pace in that team at the moment, and, and quite often that's the case when people are not playing with confidence. Muskie gets criticised a fair bit down here for not giving the kids a chance. Every now and again towards the end, he, he throws a couple of the youngsters on. Um, so I think there's a bit of dissatisfaction in there with a with a group, but you know what it's like. You win a couple of games and everything will yeah. be right again. Uh, winning games of football uh, is a great band-aid for for problems, but you just, I still can't see them being, you know, with with uh, with the finals the way it is. I you fully expect the Melbourne Victory are going to be there. Yeah, well, on paper the team is quite strong. You've got Milligan, Troisi, you've got Carl Valeri and whatnot. With those players playing, and obviously, as you said, they were missing on international duty, which is not great for us because we missed quite a few players. They've all yeah. come back now, but. As you said, it, the team just looks like it's lacking something. Is it? Do you think that they're just not gelling together? Do you think that something's going on behind the scenes? What do you think needs to change for them? Honestly, don't know. Don't have a crystal ball. I, I think no matter how experienced your team is, uh, I, no matter what the players are and what the makeup is, I think winning games of football is a habit um, that's based on confidence and. You go, well, the amount of money these blokes get paid, the amount of training they do, they surely to goodness yeah. they're all confident. But we all know because you see it 
at any level of football, anywhere you go, there are times when teams just, it's not working. Um, one win can fix that. One goal can score that. One decision can fix that. You, you keep looking at it, expecting something to happen. So I don't perceive that there's anything going on behind the scenes, but yep. uh, again, you never know. I, I just think they need a, you know, a couple of wins and they'll be back into the swing of it. I, I hope, certainly hope for their sake that that's the case. Gary, lots been talked about uh, in terms of the new Socceroos coach and um, you know what kind of style we want to play after Ange uh, Ange uh, left. Um, what what kind of coach would you like to see come into the national setup? And is there anyone that you have in mind um, that you, you'd like to see um, take over the role uh, in terms of the World Cup and the following Asian Cup the year after? Give it to Ernie. That's my call. Give it to Ernie. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? We, we, when we change coaches after we'd qualified for the, um, the Brazil World Cup, which is un- unbelievably challenging for a country to do that, um, but a couple of bad results in friendlies. I think we lost 6-0 to France and got mm-hmm. thumped by Brazil, and, and we changed a national coach, and Ange took over. And, and it was great because he'd been, everyone had fallen in love with and at Brisbane Roar and the, the three championships they won there, that long period of, of games, and everyone went, well, this is this is Australians playing football this way. That's what we want to do. So heir apparent, um, he takes it and he makes it his own, and, and it was his own through until the end. And we're now left with the fact that I think most people go, all right, we're going to argue about whether we should have played three at the back, and we're going to argue about the depth and quality of, of the current Socceroo squad, but but they are the core of them are going to be the best. But I think we all want them to go and play and keep keep that mindset, that belief that we can take on the best in the world and beat them. That's and that's really what I'd like to see. I'd like to see an Australian coach takes over that loves us, loves our football, is invested in the country, knows who our young players coming through, so that. You know, people like Danny De Silva. All coaches normally take young players goes, but but you know the the Australian, the younger Australian players have got sort of 12 months. So if it's a foreign coach, I mean, if if you look back in the past, we're only thinking about this today. Terry Venables, good hitting, coached the Socceroos part time. They didn't live in Australia, didn't love Australia. They, it was a job. They got paid to do it, and they both did a good job. Goose did a fantastic job. Everyone loved him. We, we went to the 2006 World Cup and um, and did a great job. But he didn't live in Australia. He wasn't invested in the – he had a paid job to take the team to the World Cup. So me on a personal level, I want more than that. I, I think we deserve more than that. I want someone that's invested in this country. That's easy to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Gary, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't be advocating Sven Goran Eriksson for the role like some have. Oh God, no, Jesus, no, get, no, I, I, I'd take it on before you give it to Sven. That, that's that, that dark, dark ages stuff. Um, so I think it should be an Aussie, and then based on that, really the the the, the next heir apparent based on uh, success and based on experience goes to Graham Arnold. The dilemma that we all face with that is I'm, I'm not a fan of the way Arnie plays football. Bored people to death, well, bored me to death. I can watch Central Coast Mariners, really admire what he did with a, one of the smaller clubs in the A-League, won a, a couple of championships there, but, but I don't like it. Much better at Sydney, better, better depth and quality of players, but that's, that's just me. But you do know that Arnie's invested in Australia. He does know our best kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, if not Arnie, then... 
then who? You sort of come back then to Muskie or, or Aloisi or, um, or Paul Ocon. Um, and I think most people are going to say, Jesus, are they, are they ready? Even if we think they're the right person, are they, are they ready for the, that sort of a gig? Pretty tough. Well, it looks like um, it looks like we're going to well, in terms of where when I say where um, an Australian contingent is going to be um, hopefully in control of, of picking the next coach um, after the uh, FIFA's decision today to to um, abstain from putting in a normalisation committee uh, over the FFA board. Uh, how have you seen the whole FFA FIFA saga play out, Gary? From your point of view. Well, I think first and foremost, it's embarrassing. I, you, you know, to think that FIFA, what FIFA's been, to think that they could have been running the game here, um, that, that, that is just embarrassing for us as a sport. I, I think what really stands out for me is this, the, the flag raised for FIFA when Frank Lowe, who did a fantastic job for football in this country, but, but he handed over the reins to his son, unopposed, just took, just took over the chairmanship of the board. Now, when that stuff happens, it's normally in a, in a country that's run by a dictator uh, and no one complains because people get taken out the back and shot. So, so there's this <laughs> whole thing about independence and, and whether the right people are in charge. It's clear that we've had the smallest, least democratic, least inclusive Congress in the whole world of football. And I think there are 237 nations, I think, currently affiliated. But our Congress is the smallest. It's raised the red flags. And FIFA, who their governance hasn't been great, have said to us, guys, you, you need to fix this. Now, they actually told us that, I think, two years ago. Um, and, and we keep putting it off and putting it off. And uh, I think we were due to make our best and final decision in March of this year. Um, and we applied for a stay of execution again which went out to November this year. So with all of that happening, the current board and the chairman have tried to negotiate with the A-League clubs who want a bigger piece of the pie. I think everyone understands that. Um, and try to be a bit more inclusive. So we offer the PFA one vote and then we offer um, the professional women one vote and then right at the death, we throw up another vote for women um, and that's probably going to be run by the state federation, so, so they're going to block. So it's clear, in my opinion, I can't. It doesn't look to me like Stephen Lowy really wants this to be an open, democratic, inclusive <laughs> process, because we've had two years to do that. And the comments that he made after the AGM were less than inclusive, less than, you know, we can make this work. But today's announcement says that, that he's really happy that we can do that. And, and that, that, that's the bit that I like, that today everyone's on the same page believing that we can get the job done. But the last two years don't show that. What most people think is that they're not engaged with us. We, we love the game. The game's ours, not theirs. <laughs> um, but they don't really care, don't seem to care what we want. And, and by, by we, I mean the clubs and the players and the coaches and the referees and the parents and the mums and the dads and the men and the boys and the girls and the women because that's who, that's who the game is. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned and I'm not convinced. And if we've got an hour, I'm happy to talk about um, <laughs> the reasons why, uh, you know, because I, that, that's the thing. The lowies don't need any more money. They don't get, they probably get some sort of honorarium, but they're not doing it for money. So then why? You know, and I think that, 
<laughs> we go down a, a long pathway there about why that may or may not be happening. But um, what we do want is a solution that means that we get a vote. People get a vote on who should run the game in this country. That's what FIFA want, perhaps one of the most forward-thinking pieces of legislation that FIFA have pushed through in the last few years. Um, give, give, give the people that own the game um, a say in who represents them on the board to set the strategic direction of the, of the game in this country. Gary, one of the things that stands out for me with the um, the whole FFA tobacco is, is the fact that there are loggerheads with the clubs. Now, at the moment, there are 10 clubs and obviously there's 10 owners. If there were 14 clubs or 16 clubs, there would be a, probably a bigger headache for FFA in terms of the pressure they would come under in term, simply due to the fact of strength in numbers. Is, is that potentially yeah. a, a reason for pushing out expansion the whole time? You've already mentioned about the Socceroos coaching job and wanting an Aussie to be in that role, but there's currently only 10 jobs available that Aussies can learn from in this country. You know, The, the rest, yeah. we're at state league level, we're at MPL level. It's, it's not sufficient for your next step to be the international manager's role. So in terms of expansion, do you think they're putting it off because of their own agenda and is it hindering whether it's coaching or player development in the country? Let, let me ask that with a couple of different things. My belief, I've been a, a part-time football person apart from my full-time role at Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC. My understanding of the way a board runs is to set the strategic direction for the organisation. They come up with the with the officers, the CEO, the managing director, whoever that is, to, to come up with this strategic plan of how we're going to go forward. We've not seen a lot of that. Uh, we've had football 2020, um, which was a little go. But th this is one of the things. My observations: when when we were we had the big song and dance and celebration that we'd been accepted into AFC and we moved from Oceania and moved across, and everyone believed that that was a great move, and, and it has been. We play against much stronger countries uh, month in, month out. Uh, tougher for us to, to maybe qualify, who knows, but I think better better for us is football. Part of, the, part of the conditions of entry, which was 11 years ago now, I think 11, 12 years ago now, was that we had to have a second division. So because I'm a horribly logical person, you go, OK, sometime in the next 10 years, we're going to have to have a second division here. And I think we all know what the benefits of that are. There's more spots for players, more spots for coaches. There's more, more of everything. There's the excitement of promotion, relegation, all of those things that happen in world football apart from America and Australia. But, but what we said because of the size of our country or what, what it appeared that the board said was that's too expensive. It's too hard. We're not going to do it. So instead of been working on how we do it for 10 years and how we pay for it, they just put it off and off and off. And then they came up with this marvellous idea that we're going to have the MPL, which was their way of, of getting around it, I think, and then the FFA Cup, both of which have been very successful. They've been great, but they haven't been the second decision. And because they weren't talking about it, because they couldn't explain it to us in a plan, what happened was... Almost overnight, 130 clubs in, in the Australian Association of Football Clubs almost got together overnight and suddenly got a voice and suddenly became powerful and they started to lobby. They've sent, they've sent, they've published a plan about how they think it can be done and the costs associated with it. And that's not been led by a national body. In fact, they came out categorically four or five weeks ago and said, that's not happening, can't work. And then, 
all of a sudden they've changed their tune in the last couple of weeks because we're now trying to be a bit more uh, diplomatic um, and more inclusive and now say, yeah, well, we want to work with them to, to, to make that happen. Uh, and you go, I, I think everyone agrees it should. Is it easy? No, because it's bloody expensive. We, we live in this large, large country that makes it costly to do that. But there are people, smart people, smart business people that are working on it now. Um, who doesn't appear to have been working on it is our, is the board and our, our, um, our national association. Sorry, yeah, Gary, I'm on the soapbox preaching here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine, mate. It's very, very interesting to listen to. Um, uh, just a bit of a uh, bit of a quick question. Obviously, your daughter plays professional basketball over there in Victoria. Um, obviously, you take a bit of an interest in in women's sport because of that. How have you seen the the influx of uh, obviously and the improvement in women's football and and women's sport in general? First thing, I've got to give Rebecca, my daughter, Beck Cole, a shout out. She challenged me to give her a shout out on your radio show tonight. <laughs> um, Boomers, mighty Melbourne Boomers won uh, eighty six. 42, I think, against Bendigo Spirit tonight. So they're they're in the mix uh, for challenging in the WNBL. Yeah, and they're coming across the person in a couple of weeks as well. So all good. Now come back to our our women. <laughs> I, I, look, it's, it's just been absolutely amazing. Uh, what what our women are doing, what Alan Stadjic has done with our team. The foundation was probably started with Tom Samani four or five years ago now, um, and Alan's done a terrific job. And then just evolving. The self-belief, the confidence um, is just absolutely amazing, you know. And it's interesting that that women's football, they're still seeing really talented young players coming through. You know, some of that, that current crop Matildas are in their early 20s and they've been playing for four or five years. So they're still having 15, 16-year-olds coming through and playing in first teams of the W League the underage national teams, and then the better ones are those are coming through into the children's as well. And that's stuff that used to happen um, in the old NSL. It, it, it happens rarely in the A-League. Um, and we haven't had a really young player um, playing the Socceroos for uh, what well, Ange would have done. I can't remember who the youngest one is, he, 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 but he tried uh, a whole bunch of them. So I think it's really, really exciting. They've, they've helped, helped the game. Uh, stay relevant. Obviously, there's large, large numbers of girls playing all over the place right now, and perhaps one of the biggest problems that they've given us is facilities. We, we, most local governments um, don't have enough pitches for us to play on. Gary, just going back to the A-League and expansion, where do you think the next team should be based? Um, uh, look, I, <laughs> I think there's some really good spots for it. Um, if, if I were them, I'd be inclined to, because I think the next addition needs to be two, because otherwise you, you're coming up with a buy, unless they're going to kick out Wellington, which I, I don't think is wise right now. I, I believe I believe that um, FFA have done some market research down here. Melbourne's southeast, I'm going to say sure. similar to Sydney's west. Um, it, it's not similar at all, uh, and the people are very different, but the cultural background of People, uh, Melbourne South East is very football oriented. Um, there, there is a um, three councils down here called Team Eleven. So, uh, Greater Dandenong, Casey, and Cardinia. Have, it's really interesting because councils are obviously very non-for-profit. They can't run a professional sports organisation, but they've done a whole bunch of groundwork in the South East. Uh, they've got plans for a stadium, a whole bunch of stuff. 
where, where the money and the business is going to come from to run that, I don't know. But I, I think that would be good, good for Melbourne right now. I think, you know, Melbourne City and Melbourne Heart have had a good run to, to try and establish themselves as the, the next big club in town. And, and, and I think Melbourne South East could work. I, I'd love to see a club down in Tassie. You know, it'd be good to, yeah. to get a club down in Tassie before AFL eventually get down there. There are plenty of good people play. I, I love the, another team in Brisbane idea. You know, I think that's good as well. Um, and surely to goodness with a number of people that play in New South Wales, there's a, there's a place for a third team there. Adelaide's probably a bit smaller. You, you guys would know Western Australia much better than me, much better than me. But there's some of the places I, I think clearly work, and there are some very smart people in those areas uh, looking and planning to do that once we finally announce when that's going to be. I just wanted to ask you just quickly, Gary, before we wrap it up, just on Tim Cahill obviously leaving Melbourne City, where do you think he's going to go to next? Anywhere, anywhere he's uh, got a chance of playing on a regular basis. I, I read an article just before I came on uh, on Twitter where apparently Timmy's paid somewhere between five hundred thousand and a, a million dollars out of his own pocket because his three contract was heavily front loaded here. Um, and footballers don't part with their hard-earned cash very freely, as we all know. They're, they're fairly protective of it. So he, he is obviously serious about going to the fourth World Cup. He's serious about playing at that World Cup. He's got no idea who the who the coach is going to be. So um, what he does know, though, is if you want to play, then be playing regularly, be scoring goals regularly, and uh, that it's hard to leave him out, isn't it? Gary, just one final question before we, we let you go. It's, it's relating to, to Perth itself and the perception that East Coasters have of us over here. We're, we're very uh, siege mentality when it comes to um, patriotism and, and all that kind of thing. We have, a, we have a, someone you may know, I'm sure you do know well, in charge of the club at the moment, CEO Peter Philopoulos, who is doing great work in terms of the off-field stuff. But what is the general perception of, of Perth Glory and... Are, are we deemed as important deemed as an important club in the football landscape? We, we tend to feel a little bit left out at yeah, times. Yeah, I can understand that. You're isolated. You're you're awful long way from the rest of mainland Australia. I'm guessing most of it is a bit, bit lopsided. I, I think you're incredibly relevant. You know, I, I think the Perth Glory, Nick Tanner's Perth Glory in the old NSL. Um, did something that the, the old NSL hadn't been able to do, became a professional environment, became full-time. They they did so many things right towards the end of the old NSL. And I have to say, when we were setting up Melbourne Victory, um, uh, Nick and some of the other guys at Perth Glory were, were incredibly helpful in day one because the, the FFA, <laughs> there wasn't a pro forma about this is how you set up and build a brand new football club. Uh, there was basic information like this is a salary cap and you go, oh, that's good. What's, what's one of those and how do we make that work? So th- there was, there was some good sharing and in that formula back then of one team, one town, you know, you were only really competing with other clubs for players and points and you weren't really going to compete for sponsors or that sort of stuff. So there was a fair bit of sharing. And I, and I think Perth have always done a, an awful lot right. Uh, it's a tough place to play because of the, I, I saw again, I think there was something on Twitter today, <laughs> the PFA have put something out about the, you know, the miles that the guy, that, that the Perth players have done this year already in the early part of the season. I think Perth continues to produce really, really good quality players. And I think 
it seems to me, and, and again, I'm a long way away, but the work that Peter's done with the, obviously the, the staff there seems to have provided a good match day experience. And I think the crowds right now are as big as they've, as, as they've been in the A-League to date, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, look, I, I, I think Perth is a great place. My oldest daughter, Jessica, was conceived on a holiday in Perth, so it'll always be fond in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if she's uh, I'm sure if she's listening, she's delighted that uh, that was shared with the crowd. But uh, but no, at least you've got a connection of sorts, a connection of sorts with us. Um, Absolutely. No, but well, Gary, look, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about all those issues, and uh, I'm sure we will get you back on again on the show um, in, a, in a couple of months' time, maybe when there's even a, an appointment at Socceroos level or Glory have done something. Uh, Something drastic, which which tends to happen at least once during a, during a season. So um, we we do uh, we do appreciate you you coming on to have a chat with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Far Post Perth. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Far Post Perth podcast. Now it's it's time to turn our attentions to all things Perth Glory. It's been a, a rough few weeks on the injury front. We've had players dropping like flies. We even had an additional player or an additional name added to the list this week. Some Star Wars character as part of that round is unavailable um, through injury, which is unfortunate. Blaine, before we talk about the Glory <laughs> game this weekend, let's get let's get this Star Wars thing out of the way now, okay? The the idea of, of this marketing gimmick and... Uh, it, it, it's all a bit half-arse to me to start with. But what are your what are your thoughts on going down this road of pairing up with um, something of a, a cult, a cult classic, for want of a, a better term? Um, yeah, what, what do you make of it? Oh, it's crap. It's absolute crap. Um, gimmicks like this um, are not going to do anything to get fans uh, rusted onto the game in a medium to long term. It simply isn't going to happen. Um, it's a absolute flash in the pan gimmick, and I just can't see how it's working. Um, I'd really like to go uh, through any figures. Is it going to bring money into the game? Is it just designed to put bums on seats? Is it just something that you know, bloody you know, the janitor at FFA came up with? Because that's what it sounds like. It's yeah, it's really not doing anything for me. Um, I can't remember watching the last time I watched a Star Wars episode, and I don't even know who that apparent character was that Perth Glory is uh, having a bit of a laugh with on the team sheet. No, it, does, it just doesn't sit with me uh, at all when there's uh, plenty of other um, things going on and that need further attention, especially in the way of marketing the, uh, the game. Uh, to, to put all yeah. my cards on the table, I, uh, I, I hate Star Wars and everything to do with it. So when this came up as the, uh, as the gimmick, I rolled my eyes because I knew there was going to be a lot of nerd references that would go right over my head and that I really had no interest in. So... I was on the back foot straight away, but leaving the topic and the subject matter aside, the idea of the this gimmick marketing is really frustrating because we were told at the start of the year that there didn't need to be a, a massive uh, marketing campaign because the football would sell itself and we've had the fixtures rejigged a little bit compared to previous years. and. You know, the state of the game was meant to be really good, and then it feels like after eight or nine rounds, they've gone, whoa, things aren't going well. The crowds are down. We're getting, you know, I think last weekend there was no five-figure attendances in the in the competition. 
and they've gone we've got to do something we've got to we've got to get something out there and this was the 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 thing that came to mind uh it's very short term as you say blaine it's it's a very flash flash in the pan kind of thing and uh, whatever about the gimmicks i wouldn't mind it so much if it was part of a a structured and really well thought out marketing scheme that had been going on all year if they'd had something at the launch brilliant we, we spoke about it earlier the season launches is, is too late it, it comes a couple of days before the, the season starts they fire it out there and they expect people to just go oh yeah the a-league i better go to one of those games this is the same thing it's it's a case of putting it out there a week before and going oh the a-league i'll bring my kids to that you can see the players in the videos that they're having to do the marketing for it they don't want to be there like the cringeworthy stuff I just think it's a load of nonsense, but I think it's a load of nonsense largely because it's 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 a once-off, short-term idea, and unfortunately, the people who are in charge of this sort of stuff uh, don't think long-term and don't think about how about building momentum. They just think about getting get firing this out there and seeing what happens. And I feel sorry for the, the probably the media interns or the the students who have to feel the wrath of of the likes of ourselves on social media complaining about it but unfortunately it's a load of shite and and uh, that's that's how we feel donna what about yourself um are you excited about are you, like well, th- just because you're a Melbourne victory zero fan interest. yeah go on go on zero interest in zero interest in star wars literally nothing i know nothing about it i don't know any of the characters i yeah so I just laughed. You've got a big game this weekend against Adelaide United, right? Yes. And that that is a traditionally yep. big fixture which sells itself. It's two big, strong A League clubs who don't fans don't like each other and have a rivalry. Yet it's not yep. being marketed as that. It's being marketed as Star Wars round. Do you know? Do you feel a bit yes. cheated that your 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 game, your big big rivalry with Adelaide, is being shot on by a gimmick? Yeah, I I just don't understand the whole concept behind it. Um, I don't know whether they're trying to entice children to come and watch the games. I, I have no idea. Like, is there a new movie coming out? Is that why they're doing it? Like, I actually yes, have no there, idea. Yes, I, I do know that okay. much. There is there is a movie coming okay. out in a couple of weeks, and it, it's tying in with that. Yeah, that's as far as I right, go. Right. Okay. So there we go. So it, it's just it just sounds completely stupid. I think there's a lot more bigger things that the FFA could be doing in order to promote the game. And especially, as you said, this week, you know, tomorrow night we've got a big game against Adelaide. It's one of the biggest games of the seasons for us normally. And that's what the focus should be on, two big games, two big rivalries, two fans and two players, like sets of players that just go crazy. So I don't know why we're using Star Wars as a as a pump-up for the A-League. It just baffles me. We probably should have got a Star Wars expert on us for balance, but oh well, what can you yes. do? Yes. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the uh, the Perk Glory game because uh, Saturday night it's back home at NIB after two away games. Um, it's been a challenging few weeks. It's fair to say there was that really good win against Melbourne City. Let's not take anything away from the the team on that one, despite the fact that Melbourne City are a bit of a shambles at the moment, and obviously Tim Cale has, has left them this week. So Glory Glory caught them off guard and uh, and and got a nice win there. However, it was followed up with a fairly lackluster performance against the Central Coast Mariners last weekend. To give them their due, the Mariners played good football and and were good value for the three points. But Blaine. It's a very easy excuse to say, Gloria, you're missing so many players, and, and they absolutely are, but to register just one shot on goal in a, in a game, they, they looked like they were setting up for a draw, and, and when the Mariners scored, 
they didn't have a, a plan B to try and get back into the contest. Yeah, 100% right, mate. Um, I agree with your um, one of your uh, tweets in the week that uh, just um, uh, the, the, there is mitigating circumstances by all means in terms of uh, Kenny and the way he has to set up the side. But uh, in re- reference to one of your tweets in the weeks, um, just the, the changes um, aren't there to try and uh, there's no plan B, as you said. The changes that are happening um, in terms of substitutions and, and tactical switches and what have you. Um, they're just still a little bit, um, leave you scratching your head a little bit. Um, you know, walking away with a, is that it? You're just going to walk away with a 1-0 loss because there was no attempt to change anything around, in in my opinion, after we went 1-0 down. Um, to Central Coast's credit, they were they were quite good, I thought. Uh, Danny De Silva, his run for the goal was uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it, it could have done with a little bit of extra defending at the back. Um but, yeah, no, we, we definitely just uh, weren't in it at all. I do have to, to admire the, the fact that there, there is faith in the single substitution that seems to happen every week where after about 70 minutes, Chris Harold is replaced by Mitch Malia. It's, um, it's definitely throwing the cat amongst the pigeons when you do it every single game. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way anyone's <laughs> going to pick up on that. Uh, but, Donna, the frustrating thing for me, I pointed out in the week, is that uh, both when they went down against Melbourne Victory at home and when they went away uh, down away to the Mariners, there was no no thought to put up a second striker with the player leading the line. Against Victory, we had Andy Kyo completely isolated. Joe Knowles didn't even get on in that game uh, as a substitute. There was a, a substitute left to use. Kenny Lowe didn't, and Glory lost 2-0. Last weekend, they replaced Joe Knowles, the single striker, with uh, young Mustafa for his debut, threw him up there. I felt sorry for him because you've got an 18-year-old going on for his first minutes as a lone striker with the team needing the goal at 1-0 down. Uh, no pressure, son, you know, it's uh, go, go out there and, and make things happen. Yeah. I, just th- I just think if you're going to if you're gonna chase the game, you're as, better off, you're as well losing 2-0 and getting caught on the break for a second goal than to die wondering going on oh, maybe we should have put a second striker stick another player up there look I wouldn't have even objected to him sticking a centre half up top and trying to knock the ball down to, to Joe and Olds for the last 10 minutes but do you, do you get where I'm coming from Donna or would you have made any other changes maybe put Chris Harold up front is that something we could see he's he's yeah. used to play as a striker what, what, what would you do in that situation look I, I agree with you I think that they went into the game Obviously, yes, there's a heaps of outs and there's no, you know, we have to feel sorry for the squad with all these injuries and whatnot. But um, I totally agree with you. They went down 1-0 and then there was just nothing. It was like they were just out of it. They just didn't want to be on the pitch. And I think they could have utilised Chris Harold a bit more, but they didn't. Um, and Mitch Malia, for me, I think has been great every time he's come on. So, I think he should be starting considering with all these injuries, we could be um, using him a bit better. But I totally agree with you. It's just like they went down 1-0 and they just thought, hey, that's it. Let's just throw the game away. We're not going to come back and win this anyway. So what's the point? Um, so something has to change this week because they've got a very big game ahead of them. I think the problem for Malia is that he has been really good when he's come on as a sub. So he's maybe pigeon yeah. himself, pigeonholed himself into that role as the impact sub. And he may not get a shot from the start. But, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing Malia start on the wing and seeing Harold through the middle um, this week with a bit of support. 
we continue to be frustrated by Mitch Nichols and his, his plodding. Um, to be fair to Mitch, I think he's better when he's played deeper as a deeper midfielder, picking the ball up off the centre-backs and playing facing forward rather than with his back to goal as he, he needs to do a bit more as a number 10. Um, but needs must at the moment. They haven't really got anyone else who can who can do that unless they bring in Jake Brimmer for a start. I don't know. But Glory currently sits uh, seventh on the ladder on 10 points. Um, they need to start scoring a few goals because if you take the three goals out of uh, the equation from the City game, they've, they're averaging a, a, a goal a game, which is not really great um, at this stage of the season. I, I know they've played six out of nine games away, and Blaine, that's obviously a massive factor, but with two back-to-back home games now uh, against the Jets and the Knicks, we really need to be looking at four to six points here. Yeah, no, you're 100% right, mate. Um, I mean, the half-line Jets at the moment are, are backed up with... Um, uh, O'Donovan uh, heading back into the side, which he always seems to score against us. Um, you, you'd, you'd want minimum uh, a point this week, and then and then three the following against uh, against the Phoenix, I think, mate. Yeah. So we're we're looking ahead to this week. Uh, we, we've seen the injury list that's come out; it hasn't changed. Um, Andy Kell has been added to it after. He failed to recover from his groin problem uh, for the Mariners game. There's about five players listed as being out for one to two weeks, so body should come back in at Christmas. But that doesn't uh, help us in the short term. So, Donna, what, what, what's your expectation for this week? The Jets, as Blaine mentioned, there have a couple of players in. They're second on the ladder at the moment behind Sydney. It's going to be a tough prospect. They're in prospect. hot form, aren't they? Yeah, they're uh, in hot form. They, they are. Absolutely smashed. Absolutely smashed uh, the victory off the park. And I can't imagine that this week is going to be any different. The, you know, Andrew Naboo is just on fire. Um, they've got they've picked up the other players that all come back from injury. I think I think this week if victory uh victory, sorry, if Glory can get away with the draw, it will be it will be good if they can get at least a point. Um obviously a loss isn't good, but I think a point will be positive considering the squad they have. And then hopefully pick up a three points against Wellington, who, again, aren't easy beats. Um, we just beat them on the weekend. So it's such a mixed season, isn't it? Like you win one game and you're back in the top four. So I don't think it's crazy times just yet, panic mode. But I think a point will be respectful this weekend. Blaine, we, we've banged on about it for long enough that the home final is the is the minimum that we want uh, for glory for, for this season. That's that's what we've been craving for a few seasons now. Um, fourth spot is only two points ahead. That's the Mariners. But there's a six-point gap to third place. And there's a danger here that if, if City and the Jets and, and Sydney pick up a few more wins while glory struggle, they'll essentially be left competing for one spot for a home final. And, and that's not good when you're not even halfway through the season. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I also think the pressure will start mounting on Kenny um, as, as the weeks go on, especially if we don't uh, keep picking up points at home um, because we're, we're, we're very seldomly getting them away. Um, it, it's going to – you can throw a, almost throw a blanket over, I think it's about third to about ninth at the moment. Um, but as you said, if the others uh, just keep picking up points and, and we don't uh, – we don't follow them, then we're going to be in, uh, in strife in a few weeks' time, I think. Well, I think the uh, the intriguing game for me this week outside of the uh, glory fixture, forget the uh, forget victory Adelaide, forget 
the Sydney Derby. It's a, it's Sunday, Melbourne City against the Mariners because the Mariners have been playing nice football, obviously, and we've mentioned the city's woes this week with Cahill leaving and, and talk of other issues in the background and whatnot. Um, Donna, that's a that's a pretty big game as far as the uh, the latter is concerned because. If the Mariners can get a win there, they'll uh, they'll go a point behind City as the third place team, and and they might get a little bit dizzy up there. I'm still not convinced with Melbourne City um, being in the top four. Like I just haven't seen anything spectacular just yet. But I just watched a interview with Luke Braddon, and he said that Cahill leaving, yeah, it's a big loss. But without him at the start of the season, they won four games. So. I don't know whether the Cahill factor is actually going to make a difference for them or not. It's going to be a very tasty game between them. I think Central Coast football, and I haven't said this in a very long time, is actually interesting to watch. It's actually a good brand of football to watch. So I'm pretty excited to see how it's going to go. I'm tipping Central Coast for this one, though. Blaine, the um, Sydney Derby is on Saturday night. It's got the uh, primetime slot. It's on free-to-air. It's at ANZ Stadium. It's a Western Sydney Wanderers home game. Do you think that the the novelty of the Sydney Derby, bear in mind that there's at least three a season and it's been there for a few years now, is it wearing off and the crowds are slumping and they're going to look a little bit lost in that massive stadium this Saturday night? Or or do you think that the the Sydney fans on both sides will uh, will turn out in their numbers to support this one? Yeah, no, I think they're they're in a bit of a bad spot, Western Sydney, at the moment, and it's primarily to do with their stadium uh, reconstruction. Um, they just look a bit out of sorts on and off the field. Uh, I know that a few of their fans are, are starting to just get sick of playing at Spotless and playing at all these big stadiums. Um, I mean, even I can't see them getting 20, I think, and even, that's going to look very, very cavernous in an 80,000-seat stadium at, uh, at A&Z, so... Um, yeah, no, I, I do feel for the fans because it's a real rough spot. I mean, I, I remember when we were doing up at NIB Stadium and that was getting done half-half at a time and even that was a pain in the backside. So to be losing your, your home ground for for a prolonged period, um, it, it's it's really it's really got to be annoying and it's going to take some patience from the Wanderers fans, I think. All right, well, we'll wrap up there for this week. Um, thanks to... Gary Cole for joining us for the interview. Thanks to yourself, Blaine and, and Donna. Um, you guys will be at NIB Stadium on Saturday night doing some fan reactions, I assume? We will. Absolutely. Excellent. Kickoff at NIB is 7pm. Perk Glory against the Newcastle Jets. Uh, a very big game. Three points would be great for the glory. So hopefully we can get a, a crowd in excess of 13,000 like the last home game against Victory. Uh, nice time of year for it. Weather should be lovely. So yeah, get out and uh, watch some football. Uh, thanks to the Daily Football Show for their ongoing support for the Fire Post Perk podcast. Don't forget to check us out on social media. We've got Facebook, Twitter and Instagram all at Fire Post Perth. And if you have anything you want us to talk about in any future podcasts or anyone you'd like to hear us speak to, uh, don't be afraid to get in touch as well. So uh, until the next podcast, enjoy the football over the weekend and, and whatever you do over the next week or two.